welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, welcome back to Time Shifters. This is Christopher, and I'm here with Tom. Tom, how the heck have you been? It's been a rough couple of weeks, but I'm here. I'm excited. <laughs> Good. Well, I am glad. Yeah, it has been... Shush. Uh, this month, I mean, it seemed like it was just the other day that it was like, oh, wow, it's March already. And now here we are recording halfway through the month, and it's just... Whew. <laughs> I'm out of breath. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we're literally mid-month as we're recording this, and I feel like April's just next week. I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and it's going to be June. <laughs> hey, you know what? I do have something I want to mention to everybody and celebrate in this moment, and it is time-related. All right. We're going to do away with daylight savings. Oh, I hope so. All it's got to do is be signed. That's did it make it through? It, it went through did. like the Senate, right? Yes, it went through Senate and it passed. <laughs> right, but it's got to go through the House, though. I think that's just a formality. I think it's going to hit the president's desk. Oh, I hope so. The problem is, is we still got to wait till twenty twenty three to do it. <laughs> like you would think, because they, I, I get the point, and, uh, and this is so apropos to time travel, uh, <laughs> but. I get that they want to pass through one more um, fall back because that's how you get your longer daylight um, through the winter. That You'll mm-hmm. at least get to 5 o'clock before it's dark on the East Coast. So I, I, I get that. But if it's literally about to get signed, why can't that happen this year? Yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. Just decide on whether you want it. In the fall, the winter, I don't care which one you choose. Just pick one. Right. <laughs> I, I don't care. Yeah, pick with one and go. And, you know, if you want to pick, do it on the last one. Falling back, I'm okay with Split that. the difference. You want to split the difference? We'll just do a half an hour and call it quits. I'm wondering if anyone had ever actually said, can we just, like, come fall? Can we fall back just a half hour and then call it a day? Is that going to be, will that make it too difficult when the time zone's going? I think the only reason that would have, would not go that way is it would destroy all TV schedules everywhere. <laughs> yeah, well, good point, good point. Well, and you also think, too, I it, only, if only the United States just said, yeah, we just changed everything at 30 minutes, <laughs> the rest of the world, okay, well, you're an hour and a half behind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I yeah, think. You're seven and a half hours ahead of us, yeah. Extra math. Time zones explode. Um, yeah, there's carnage everywhere. Well, I don't have a whole heck of a lot to talk about at the top of the show, but I did want to mention this. Uh, it, although it seems a little early, uh, but the Cincinnati Comic Expo has been announcing some guests. Oh, I saw and, that. Uh, yeah. 
And unfortunately, by the time everybody hears this, the early board uh, VIP prices will have expired. So my apologies if anyone was looking for that. But if that was your thing, you probably already knew about it. Uh, but yes, the usual kind of uh, guests with, uh, you know, the comic uh, writers, comic artists, all that good stuff. But some of the celebrity guests have been announced. Saw. And one just announced today, which I thought was really freaking cool. Actor, singer, songwriter Paul Williams is going to be at the 2022 Comic Expo. I know, right? Paul Williams. The Rainbow Connection, Paul Williams. <laughs> the yeah. Phantom of the Paradise, Paul Williams. He's been in like everything. He was in Planet of the Apes, Paul Williams. I know. He's just, <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a really cool find. I'm looking at his list, Babylon 5. The Bold and the Beautiful. <laughs> Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> I mean, it's the most eclectic list of things you could ever imagine. Plus, he's like a Cabinet Award-nominated songwriter. Uh, that is awesome. I cannot wait to go and sit in on his Q&A. Yeah, no, that'd be, that'll be a lot of fun. That'll be amazing. Oh, and uh, yeah, he was the uh, the penguin. I forgot about that. He was the penguin in the Batman the Animated Series. Oh, yeah, he was, wasn't he? He did the voice of the penguin. Oh, my God. He did some voices, apparently, in the Superman series and the new Batman adventures. I, holy cow. <laughs> it's just, what an absolutely fantastic get. That's just, that almost seems like, really? He's coming to here? <laughs> As much as he's done, and as big a name as he is in the things that he does, he's not your he, he's not your a a list actor, but he's in everything. Yeah, yeah, that's what's funny. He is he's like one of those unsung heroes. Mm -hmm. People don't realize how much Paul Williams has been in their life. Right. Just because of all the stuff that he wrote, the songs that he wrote. Maybe he didn't sing, but he wrote. He wrote television themes or songs that he's that the people have heard on the radio and everything. Didn't know that he wrote it. Didn't know that it was him doing the voice. Didn't know that it was him under the makeup. Uh, maybe it was just that, oh, yeah, he's that guy that was in the Muppet movie. <laughs> yeah, he played the piano uh, <laughs> without really realizing how important of a figure he is so yeah he is sort of uh you 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 might not know the name but there's no way he hasn't touched something that you like <laughs> exactly exactly yeah so i just thought that was a fantastic uh no. fantastic news i'm really looking forward to no, that. that that is very cool that'll be exciting. for the nicest guy in show business kermit the frog been recorded by Willie Nelson and Sarah McLaughlin, so many wonderful people. But Mr. Henson, this one's for you. Always. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Well, rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide Well, so we've been told Some choose to believe it But I know they're wrong 
wait and see Someday we will find it The rainbow connection The lovers, the dreamers, and me So yeah, there's going to be some really exciting uh, Q&As because there's just people that have been done so much and that you're going to get questions and stories from all walks of their careers. So it's, that's, it's going to be exciting. Oh, and of course, William Shatner. I forgot. That was like one of the first ones that they announced. William Shatner is going to be there. Yeah, that's right. I did see Isn't that, isn't that kind of funny? <laughs> I'm, I'm completely jonesing over Paul Williams and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that, Bill Shatner is going to be there. Yeah. That, that guy. He's been to space and stuff. You know, whatever. <laughs> ah, barely worth a mention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm already looking forward to it. And it's not until September. I know. But now I'm, now I'm going to be really looking forward to it. No, that'll be a lot of fun. I can't wait to, to see what how that goes. I want to... Those will be some nice talks. Yeah, I'm... Actually, unless we um, take advantage of the VIP portion of the press pass, uh, I'm doubting we'll even get in the William Shatner. That's going to be that line's going to start snaking out of the, uh, the convention hall probably Friday evening, and people are just going to camp. We may have to take advantage of that. <laughs> yes. Or, or sure, should see I say, if, see if that really works? Or should I say, <laughs> we? Might need to take advantage of that. <laughs> yeah, we'll make sure that we didn't only realize late last uh, last year that I'm like, hey, wait, this does VIP. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, we could go to the head of the line on all of these things <laughs> as we keep cycling to the back on every single one. <laughs> right. Well, I feel like you know, I, I there's a part of me that feels like the pain guests should actually have first dibs. True, but we're promoters. <laughs> come on we barely ever get these kind of things in life let's take advantage of them once in a while good point maybe we don't abuse it for everything but right right but just paul williams we <laughs> <laughs> that's your go-to one i'm totally using it on paul williams. that shatner guy screw that <laughs> he's had his day <laughs> He went up to space in a flying penis. His life's good. He doesn't need us there. <laughs> there hasn't been anything else that I wanted to uh, really mention. Um, if you want to talk about like celebrities passing, William Hurt, yeah, just recently passed away. That was kind of that's kind of a big one. He's again, he's one of those actors where he's done a lot, but not a lot. Like he's not in like everything. No. But when he's in stuff, it's kind of like, oh, boom, William Hurt. It's that film. Yeah, definitely. And it actually made me <laughs> when when these celebrities pass and I get and I get that everybody has their fandom, their their uh, their their thing that they remember the actor for. But it kind of rubbed me the wrong way when when um people said, "Well, Rest in peace to General whatever his name was from the Marvel movies, because I've already forgotten. Um, right. And I'm like, really, of all of his work, that's the that's the one you're going to pick 
<laughs> yeah, it's strange what your go-to is. Although I have to admit, my first go-to I'm thinking is uh, Lost in Space was the first thing that popped in my head. It was like, oh, what has William Hurt done? Oh, Lost in Space. That was like the last film I could think uh, of. I completely forgot he'd appeared in the Marvel films. Yeah, no. Like, I, I know the general's name and I can't I can't pluck it out of the air right now. That's right. Because it was a it was a small part in the overall. Right, yeah, that's practically he was it was practically a bit role. Yeah, and that's what people come up with. Um, yeah, but he was a much much too young. You know, I would would have seen him still turning up in in roles for quite some time. So unfortunate. I do know his character was supposed to eventually become like the Red Hulk in in Marvel. Oh, at least the character in the comic books did. So gotcha. I don't know if there was any giant Marvel plan to actually turn John Hurt into the William Red Hulk. Hurt. William Hurt. <laughs> William Hurt. Lost John Hurt a while ago. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> Slip of the tongue. But that's it for me. I have not been really watching anything or doing anything uh, of interest beyond that. So unless you've got anything else besides your daylight savings excitement. <laughs> that That's all that's uh, time travel appropriate. <laughs> that's true. Well, see, I only mentioned William Hurt because, it was, like I said, he was in Lost in Space, and that did have some time travel of in course. it. Of course. Why wouldn't it? It didn't make a lick of sense, but it was in it. <laughs> oh, that, that that's how any series, when they get bored, <laughs> goes, oh, we should throw a time travel episode. <laughs> No, that was talking about the film. Oh. I don't know what they did in the series. I never really watched the series, but the the film Lost in Space. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He was one of the Robinsons, yes, and there was a time travel that made no sense whatsoever. So we're not adding it to the list? (laughs) We are not adding that one to the list. We can talk about that one some other time, because that's actually a film I enjoy despite all its flaws. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of with you. We could get into that. That has to be an episode at some point. Because maybe, maybe next year we will uh, at least do a partial series with just films that look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> films that, by all accounts, are terrible, but you still like watching them. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, the films that look pretty. So we'll, yeah. we can talk about the uh, Lost in Space. We can talk about the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could talk to cop. We can talk about the Phantom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe we can throw in the shadow. Definitely throw in the shadow. Cause I have not uh, watched the shadow in probably not since it first came out. I, I love that. Revisited. But I know it's a flawed film. <laughs> right. There you go. So that's it. We'll do a film of you know, films that look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. Then when we come back, we're going to talk about the 1972 comedy drama. Slaughterhouse Five. C-3PO, Loki, Mace Windu, Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, 
Princess Leia. Jean Grey. Darth Maul. Nick Fury. Grand Moff Tarkin. Captain America. Lando Calrissian. Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana Podcast on iTunes. Because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. Fozzie Bear. Buzz Lightyear. Link Hogthrob. Doug. Janice. Merida. Pepe. Bruce. Ralph the Dog. Wally. Dr. The Disney Bunsen Indiana Hindu. Podcast. Syndrome. Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. The patient was a prisoner of war in Dresden when it was bombed. He claims that well over 100,000 people were burned to death in the fire, worse than Hiroshima. And since Billy was actually there, it's natural enough to assume that this has had a contributing effect on his present condition. He's ready, Doctor. You're going to sleep now, Billy. Welcome to the planet Tralfamador, Mr. was a first time watch for both of us. I don't think either one of us really knew what to expect. I was expecting more of the drama. Uh, I did not look up anything about it prior to watching it, kind yeah. of on purpose. Yeah. So I didn't realize that there was a sort of comedic aspect to it at all. 
this is a weird ass film. It very much is. What was your first impression? What do you want to do? A synopsis of this thing? Oh yeah, Can you, you know do what? A Let synopsis me... of this thing. No, I do. I actually have some stuff I forget. Completely forgot. I had my notes over here. They were hidden behind my browser window. Uh, Slaughterhouse Five from 1972 is actually celebrating its 50th anniversary the week that we record. Uh, it premiered on March 15th, 1972. It was directed by George Roy Hill, who was known for directing such film as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and The Sting. Uh, the Sting for which he won a Best Director Oscar, and he'd previously been nominated the year before for Butch and Sundance. His final film, Funny Farm, from 1988, uh, Matt and I covered back in June of 2019. This film is based on the novel of the same name, written by Kurt Vonnegut Jr., and it stars Michael Sachs as Billy Pilgrim and Valerie Perrine as the beautiful Montana wild hack. William Pilgrim is unstuck in time. He floats between different points in his own past and future, revisiting his time as a prisoner of war in World War II, including the bombing of Dresden, his life of a, as a prominent optometrist in upstate New York, his life living among the aliens of Trow Famador, and his eventual death at the hands of an insane World War II vet. The film premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, where it won the jury prize and was nominated for a Palme d'Or. The film also won a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation and a Saturn Award for Best Science Fiction Film. Sachs made his feature film premiere in Slaughterhouse-Five and was nominated for a Golden Globe for Most Promising Newcomer. Vonnegut himself wrote about the film in a preface in his Between Time and Timbuktu and said, I love George, George Roy Hill and Universal Pictures who made a flawless translation of my novel Slaughterhouse-Five to the silver screen. I drool and cackle every time I watch that film because it is so harmonious with what I felt when I wrote the book. Now, Vonnegut himself was a prisoner of war in Dresden when it was bombed. And in the special introduction to the 1976 Franklin Library edition of the novel, he wrote, The Dresden atrocity, tremendously expensive and meticulously planned, was so meaningless finally, that only one person on the entire planet got any benefit from it. I am that person. I wrote this book, which earned a lot of money for me and made my reputation such as it is. One way or another, I got two or three dollars for every person killed. Some business I'm in. <laughs> Billy Pilgrim is sort of a, um, a stand-in for Vonnegut yes. through much of the World War II scenes and the prisoner of war stuff although i'm sure many much of it is fictionalized but i think he made a very big point of pointing out the um destruction and the and everything with the dresden bombing yeah uh it was clear in the film that when they get to the scene where the bombing begins and more importantly after the aftermath when they come out from the shelters mm -hmm. um the clear pointless nature of this particular act they, they were very, in the filmmaking itself, they were very clear to show children having fun, people caring about their day, um, just in general, uh, a city at peace in the middle of war. Well, and I even noted that during all the scenes when he's the prisoner of war, 
it feels almost like felt a little bit like almost like Hogan's heroes. Like, oh, being a prisoner of war isn't so bad. Right. <laughs> you know? uh, until that moment, then it suddenly becomes very real when you're dealing with the bombing. So I definitely think um, the filmmakers at least made a, a, a good effort to kind of um, convey what he was probably trying to convey in the, in the book and with his memories as of the experience. Despite this being uh, on like every high school read list, it didn't apparently make it on my high school read list. So I, I haven't actually read the book, but since um, Vonnegut gives this film such a high praise for how, how it at least tracks to the sentiment of his book. Yeah, I can, you can feel even though they, this is a messy film kind of all over the place with what it's trying to impart from different aspects of the quote unquote story. Um, it's clear that everything about the war, there is a obvious progression in the jumping around in time you'll notice that even when you jump around in time, when it comes to the timeline of the war, that is serialized. We go, we go, the moment we see, we see his first point in this particular storyline to the last point, which would be the death of his friend. And it's, it's rare, I think, that you get an author singing that high a praise about an adaptation of their novels. It's usually quite the opposite. I'm, I'm thinking like Stephen King, who gave the rights to filmmakers dozens of times and then bashed every single film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently he doesn't learn. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, cocaine was expensive. <laughs> so. now, now, seriously, with the way that this film was done... I'm kind of I'm kind of in the mood to go back and read the book. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have said that they really felt that the book was unfilmable, but this does as close a job as as possible. Which then makes me wonder what the heck the book is like. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was talking with somebody who had read the book, but she didn't remember enough of it. To I'm like, was the book this chaotic? And she's like, I honestly can't remember. (laughs) Mm. Like, you can't or because your brain won't put it back together again. I need to go look on my shelf somewhere. I swear I've seen this book sitting on a shelf. Maybe it was belonged to someone, my my dad or something. I wonder if I inherited it. I have to look at a couple bookshelves because I know somewhere in my life, this book has been on a shelf. I just wonder if I still have access to it. Are you sure you haven't jumped to that moment in time? Oh, I maybe <laughs> I have. I could be time tripping. And, and I do like that that was more or less how they described it. It, it mm-hmm. was time tripping, not time travel. And even unstuck in time wasn't entirely right. No, no. Because there was no actual travel. Right, except for a few moments where he actually claims to have time traveled, and you all, you do deal with the whole science fiction element of the aliens and the alien world and everything. This honestly just feels like someone reliving reliving their memories, mm-hmm. because 
there is no real connection between any of the of of the moments. Occasionally, they'll have the character you know, mumbling the last lines of what he said in the previous time. Mm-hmm. It could easily have been someone, you know, waking up from a dream or, like I said, just remembering something in the past, except that he was remembering something in the future. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, no, and it seemed as he progressed along his timeline his ability to retain what he did and said from another point in time as if it was still linear, um, it seemed to increase the older he got. Um, Mm. Actually, I found this, uh, uh, and I guess the only reason to even introduce an alien race of any kind is to kind of give you permission to think of time as as non-linear and as happening all at once and not at all, all at the same time. Well, and they made a point of mentioning that the, the aliens of uh, Tralfamador live in the fourth dimension. Right. They live within time. So, yes, there is no linear time. There is no... I guess space is as alien to them as like time would be to us. The funny thing is because uh, I've only been more recently watching um, like the Deep Space Nine episodes. Um, mm, mm. The uh, the entities that live in the wormhole in DS Nine essentially are these travel. Traum- I, I I almost wonder if it's a if this may have been an inspiration for that. Because they're also not, they're unstuck from time. Now, the future, the past, it's all the same to them. They don't perceive time in that way. It already happened or it's still going to. It doesn't mean anything. And that's what this is kind of, it, it, it's really a kind of a hard thing to even figure. But I've heard of this concept on many different fronts before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, in the uh, the whole alien aspect and the unst- in the living in the fourth dimension and everything, it gives you the reason as to why it's happening without having to go to any further explanation than that. Mm-hmm. It's oh, it's it's aliens. Yes. That's it. I uh, like we were com- we were talking about on uh, the film um with the Biggles yeah. Where we're saying it would kept asking us to believe impossible things one after another. Mm-hmm. And that's like breaking the cardinal rule. Well, this one, the only thing that it asked you to believe was he was taken by aliens and lives in a world in the fourth dimension. That, That's it. Mm-hmm. Everything else is perfectly reasonable and takes place in our world. That was the one incredible thing that this movie asked you to believe. The thing I'm finding about this, too, is this is a movie to digest. Like, Mm. like even both of our impressions right out of the gate were, that was weird. Yeah. (laughs) And and what's funny is I literally have, uh, I have a review from Empire in here where the only quotable thing from there is weird, but kind of cool. <laughs> That's almost the sum total of the of the review, um, at least from what I can find on the website. 
you can see why this novel is used in like uh, advanced placement English classes and stuff like that because it's something that needs to be discussed. Mm-hmm. It's not something you can just read, put down, and walk away. And so very much this film is not something you can just watch, ah, okay, and then never mention it again. You're right. It, it, it has to be kind of digested and discussed, and you have, you're forced to sort of like try to figure it out. Well, and it wasn't until literally we're having this conversation that I even plucked the point out, and I'm sure others have discussed this, that, okay, while I was watching it, I'm like, this is chaos. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, I get what they're trying to do, but, but I, I don't know how you edit this thing. <laughs> it, 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 it's because there's no lead into anything, and, and you're not with any one time long enough to get anything except after you've watched the whole thing. And you sit with it. That's when I, I literally, just sitting here right now, had the the war story was linear. It was completely mm-hmm. linear. You take all the, if you take all the jumps from time out and string the the war piece, it that is just one solid story. And I'm like, son of a bitch, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like. The, the part where it gets chaotic is all of his personal life stuff outside of the war. Right. I'm watching some of that, and I'm thinking, this is like, a, it's a mad, 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 mad time world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about the, you know, the the uh, the World War II is all linear, but because we're jumping into different points of his life, including the, the future mm-hmm. of, you know, things that take place after the war, we know what's going to happen in the war, mm-hmm. we just haven't gotten to it yet. And that makes it even a little bit more uncomfortable to watch some of those scenes when you're in the war, because you know what's going to happen to his friend. Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of, what's what's going to precipitate it? You know, where are, are we going to see that? Does that happen? You know, um, do I, do I want to see this? If he's truly unstuck from time, and, and this is only where I also put together the idea that it's only after he gets older that he's able to kind of retain how much he re- we, he moves through time because there's the scene where it's their anniversary and it's where we actually find out what's going to happen to his friend mm-hmm. who we have barely met in, in in the time jumps to begin with but we know he recovers a diamond from that from that guy but if he's truly unstuck from time at this point, how is he feeling? Uh, like, I almost want to figure out how this character is actually feeling in that moment. And I assume that has to do with the fact that he kind of walked away from the party after he gave her the ring. It, right. It, it's, it, it's clicking again that where he got this and he has either experienced this or is still yet to experience this because of the way that he moves through time. Mm-hmm. So it, it has to be both, in, um, I don't know, embarrassing's not right. It, it's a demoralized moment where he's given this ring because it's supposed to be a happy thing, but it is so totally not a happy thing for him. 
Well, because yeah, because it it its basis it has its dark memories, right? Right. Yeah. Even so. if that particular moment that he finds the diamond isn't a sad memory, it leads up to moments he'd rather not bring up again. Right. And because the way this film is presented and the way the character moves, he, I, I'd almost want to go, okay, in, in that particular scene, like I want to ask somebody in that particular scene, was he supposed to be remembering what happened or anticipating that he might jump to the moment that it did happen? <laughs> well, and that's interesting because you're taking it one way and I kind of took the impression that his traveling through time for him didn't start until after he was taken by the aliens. And that was like a, a, a gift that they bestowed onto him oh, that... to effectively stop him from going mad because he's in a little tiny fishbowl of a world. So that's that's the only way he can travel is just to buy visiting different points in his past. That does lead, though, to a problem I have where I feel like there's a... doesn't quite jive with, like, what he says later on where he was saying, like, you live your life, you have to focus on the happy moments or none of it's worthwhile, but... We keep visiting not happy moments. <laughs> yeah, we visit so many moments that are kind of like, these aren't happy moments, so why are we here if that's your takeaway? Also, you have to remember, he was taken twice. No, he was just taken once. They came down and sort of like checked him out and then flew away. And then they actually came down and took him. Or did they? Because <laughs> that, that, that's what I'm kind of getting at with that moment. where The, the moment where, uh, unfortunately, a, a, a really cheesy effect. Um, but in that moment is that the moment though because at that time it does seem like from that moment on he start he his perception of time starts getting a little weirder because this mm. is when that's about the same time that like you were pointing out when he jumps to things he might be gibbering about where he just came from even in the past so yeah, I'm just kind of wondering if that was the intent. If uh, maybe they visited him, and then at a certain point in his life, they decided to pull him out of his, uh, mostly because of the bad things that kept happening to him. Because right. they didn't, they didn't pull him away till after he had ha been in the plane crash. Yeah, good point. Maybe they they had visited him once, decided to leave him in place, and then decided to. After so many bad things, let's try to give him a little good now. <laughs> Certainly through most of the film, at least in the beginning and through most of the film, where I started watching it and realizing the story and what was going on, that I really was started questioning whether or not it really fit into our, um, into our series or not. Right. And I guess it still does just because... There is the alien aspect, and there is definitely time travel. I mean, they 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 state that he is traveling in time. Because if it weren't for that, it would be just me thinking he's just remembering things. This is right. him. He he had a crash. You know, he's he a near death experience, and he's got 
brain damage. <laughs> and this is what he is is what he is envisioning. And there are probably I imagine there's discussions to be had about whether or not that is true. We don't know if what we're seeing is really accurate or not. Of course not. No. Uh, what? Why? Which is it? I think part of what this is all about is everything is our perception. Our perception is our reality. If you believe enough crazy crap, um, well, that's what's real to you. Um, so how we perceive things and how we perceive time is entirely a construct of our own mind. So I think that's part of what this book is delving into. Um, but like we were discussing at the start of uh, our year in time travel, that we would be visiting all of the possible, we'd try to get as many permutations on the concept of time travel. And this one sits in a more theoretical state than, than there's no MacGuffin, there's no thing that says you travel in time. Um, if anything, the MacGuffin is the, the fourth dimensional aliens, Mm-hmm. But they are just trying to impose the uh, time is irrelevant. Now is now is now now then is now. You've it, it's the it's the one thing that stuck with me that they said to him is you have been here. You will always be here. That goes without saying. They tell the story of the guy that will end the universe. And right, yeah. And Billy is trying to argue with them. If you know that's going to happen, why don't you do anything to stop them? And, and they, they explained. Because it's happened. Because it's happened. And it will happen. And, and, and I think they even said, and, and we've tried. And it happens. It is a it is a stuck point in time that is just going to happen, no matter what. <laughs> and that's what they're essentially, this is a different perspective on time in that, he can jump around in time without really impacting anything because from their perspective, it's all the same thing all the time. You can't, you can't screw anything up because it just is. It's kind of like taking the concept of linear time and then just smashing it into a ball that it's yeah. a single point. I just found the the quote on that uh, where Billy's asking him, but you you have to stop him if this no if you know this can't you keep the pilot from pressing the button? And the the Tralfamadorian says he has always pressed it and he always will. We have always let him and we will always let him. The moment is structured that way. It that's that's it. It happened. Yep. And it can't unhappen. <laughs> right. No, knowing it doesn't change it. <laughs> We should talk a little bit about some of the the cast. Michael Sachs, as I said, was uh, voted as you know a um, uh, most promising newcomer. Strangely enough, he only acted for about ten years before he retired from the industry. Mm-hmm. And he does he plays young and old uh, Billy Pilgrim. They just use some some makeup and you know, old old age makeup and everything to give him the sort of uh, older appearance and everything. But he does a fantastic job. Um, Sorry, he didn't keep acting. I, he he has many a, a few roles past this, um, but nothing truly. Oh, it's Michael Sachs, uh, kind of thing. No, in fact, a good hunk of it was just. Uh, oh my God! I saw that film. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
Sorry, uh, he appeared in what ended up being a truly terrible TV film called Starflight, The Plane That Couldn't Land. Oh, wow. It's a Lee Majors film. What's that? It's a Lee Majors film. Uh, Yeah, it sounds like it's right up my alley, actually. Uh, Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) But, um, yeah, uh, uh, other than, like, Amityville Horror, the 1979 one, so the first one, Mm. um, not a whole lot of stuff of note for his career, which is really kind of a shame. It is a shame. And the rest of the cast is honestly, it's a lot of character actors. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a lot of faces in here that you might recognize from places. Uh, Rob Liebman, you were looking and uh, who played Paul Lazaro, who was a bit of the uh, the guy that's a little little off his rocker uh-huh. uh, through all the World War II. Um, yeah, you said he'd been in just about everything, just whenever you needed a a, a bad guy, yeah, kind of thing. I mean, he does lots of voice acting, but yeah, no, he's just been all over the place, like forever. Uh, I mean, he's been in the Sopranos. Um, he's in the, the the series Archer. Yeah, he's just all over the place. Right. Eugene Roche, uh, who played Edgar Derby, or Roche, R-O-C-H-E. I'm not sure if he pronounced it Roche or Roche. Yeah. Uh, again, if you saw him, you would know him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, through the uh, 1970s, he was the Ajax man on a lot of commercials, but he's definitely an actor that's been in a ton of things. And uh, even a uh, Sorrel Book, who played... Uh, Billy Pilgrim's father-in-law, uh, 10 years later and probably 150 pounds heavier, <laughs> would play Boss Hog in Dukes of Hazard. We, we can't get away without talking about Miss Tessbacher! <laughs> no, we cannot get away without talking about Valerie Perrine. Um, God, the beautiful Valerie Perrine. Yes. She's absolutely, she is a beautiful woman in this film. Uh, well, and... And she was through most of her life, don't you? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, 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 there's reason she's Miss Tesbaka. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, absolutely. Uh, in fact, that was the that's a, an entire point in, in the film. Uh, if we're if we're on to that, they took him because his life had been filled with tragedy. And if the focus should be on the positive, they set out to give him a positive, and they did so by presenting him with his perfect woman. But as soon as he saw her in pinup and at the drive-in, um, he was obsessed with this woman, and they pulled her out of time so that it was the version that he remembered. Mm-hmm. It's Montana Wild Hack. What a fantastic name. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I figure Vonnegut just said, what could be the the, the most cheesy uh, screen name that someone might ever come up with? And he came up with that. I'm actually kind of sorry that we saw, really, as far as the film goes, I was going to say we see, we see so little of her. Ah. We see quite a lot of her right. <laughs> physically. But as far as time goes, we don't get to spend a whole lot of time with her character. And I'm kind of sorry we don't. This is almost a kind of a thing where I wish the film was twice as long so we could see her time tripping and living you know, lives and memories. It's actually where you get kind of your first early. Uh, we, we get a glimpse of her early in the film. And she actually uses the term um, 
time trip mm-hmm. early on, and then she disappears from the film for a good long time. And, and, and yeah, you're not even entirely certain that by the time you see uh, the pinup girl in the magazine and then the the drive-in movie, you're not entirely sure. Was that the same person from before? Because they don't have a relationship at all. Like, they have no idea. This is just his fantasy girl. Yeah, I actually didn't even make that connection because her moments in the film and then when she's actually in his life together on Tralfamador are so disconnected and so far apart it it didn't even click in my head. Oh, oh, it's that girl from the movie that he was watching yeah. the drive-in. It made no connection whatsoever. And you're right. I didn't make that connection when you see her one of the first scenes in the film. But it's so brief. Well, and, and, and I think it's purposeful because uh, uh, the way that they're even together in bed at the time when he, she's asking him about if he's been time tripping... Um, she is so covered up and scrunched down in the covers, talking to him softly and all that. You could conceive of this being the wife that we meet later at a different point in her own time. Right. Who had finally gone on that diet. <laughs> yeah. We weren't going to get out of this without talking about <laughs> at least that. It was, I guess it was supposed to be a running gag. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's more to it. It's got to be a, like a statement on something. The, the, especially the way that the only time the wife ever mentioned anything about losing weight was when she was presented with something big in her life. And well, that was going to be her reward. His for reward. Whatever, yeah. what, whatever nice thing that he's done. She was going to finally go on that diet and lose all this weight. And she'll be the, you know, the prettiest and sexiest woman that he could ever want. That she felt he deserved in some way. But, I mean, you could do an entire psychoanalysis thing on just that uh, alone. Um, And and the point that she never does. Right. I, I mean, at no point does she do anything of the kind, but yet he continues to do very nice things for her throughout her life. The whole relationship's very strange because you you definitely get a feeling that he doesn't truly love her yet he acts and does things that would be loving very loving yeah yeah there's a huge disconnect there which is why again i'm convinced that even what this is supposed to be a happy thing for him he's more in love with his dog than than he is with his entire family yeah, he seems to, for the rest of his family, and especially his wife, he seems to be just going through the motions. He's he's doing what he feels he is, what he's supposed to do. He's doing the caricature of an American life. Yeah. Uh, this is what you're supposed to do. I'm not into it at all, but this is what I'm supposed to do. This is, po- this is post-World War II life. That's how mm-hmm. you're supposed yeah, to live. You're supposed to be living the American dream. Right. right. Picket fence, wife, two kids, Cadillac in the yard, you know, in the driveway. Perry King is your son. 
<laughs> did want to mention yeah Perry King. I really only know him from um, um, Riptide. Right. That's mostly <laughs> where I know him from too. And just being uh, at 1980s uh, character actor. He, yes. If he exactly. wasn't starring on Riptide, he was he was guest starring on a number of other shows. <laughs> I recognized his voice before. I actually didn't recognize his face. I recognized his voice, strangely enough. Yes. Yeah, I, I was able to pick up on the face right after he talked. Yeah, the rest of the cast, like I said, a lot of character actors, faces you might recognize. Um, not any other names that really, truly um, jump out. Um, a few names that seem somewhat familiar, but I couldn't place them enough to, to try to even really um, discuss them. There's a few that we'd probably pick up on here and there. John Denner. Uh, yeah, that was he was a, one I was looking at that I was like, boy, that name sounds familiar, but I couldn't tell you from where. Yeah, no, I know I've seen him in the other things, and I know I've seen uh, Robert's Blossom in other things. The, the guy that played Wild Bob Cody. Lots of interesting characters. And yeah, like I was saying, it the way they act and the way the Germans act during the uh, the World War II stuff, it does feel just kind of like, oh, it's not so bad. <laughs> so you're a prisoner of war. You're fine. Everyone's good. Everyone seems real happy and congenial. <laughs> I, I do have to ask you this, because I need perspective. Why why did the Germans shoot Derby? Because uh, earlier on they when they were cleaning up they were having the Americans uh dig through the rubble mm-hmm. and collect the bodies of the of the dead after the Dresden bombing. Yeah. And they said outright that any looting or or stealing of um anything from the bodies would be met with the firing squad. So he found the little doll, the little porcelain doll. And he went and put it in his pocket, and the German officer saw it. I must, uh, I must have missed where he put it in the pocket because uh, I, yeah. I saw him giving it to them, um, and talking very friendly about it. Yeah, he was holding it. He was showing Billy, and then they went back to finish cleaning up, and he just nonchalantly started to put it in his pocket when the uh, the officers saw him and pulled him over, and that's when he pulled it out. It's like, oh, yeah, and he tried to explain that we we had one just like this, my kid broke it, and that's when they shot him. Yeah, okay. Well, now that's far more sad than I... <laughs> yeah, it's extremely sad, because yeah. he truly didn't mean harm. I must have literally looked away when he put it in his pocket, and that's how brief a moment that was. Right. So Yeah, and he, he truly meant no harm. Right. And it cost him his life. It's very unfortunate. Then it wraps itself neatly in, in the package of uh, the meaninglessness of war. I mean, there's a reason. Exactly. Dresden is the scene where most of this takes place because that's a definitive moment in time where none of that made sense to have that go down. Let me ask you this for some perspective or whatever mm-hmm. is why. Maybe it's more of a player in the novel, but as far as the film goes, <laughs> why Slaughterhouse-Five? You know, I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm only going to go with it's such a provocative title. Right. Well, it, like I said, it, it was where the, the that particular group was going to be working. 
Right. Was in a slaughterhouse, and it was Slaughterhouse Five. Mm-hmm. So I have to think in the novel, there's more that takes place. It is more significant. I mean, the film is named Slaughterhouse Five because it's based on the novel Slaughterhouse Five. Right. But I would love to know if anyone who has actually read the novel, if they could let us know, is that significant in the novel more so than in the film? Or is it just as bizarre and strange and just like, hey, it sounds good. It's going to look good on the shelf and it's going to sell lots of copies. (laughs) Yeah, because I I actually do wonder that myself because this could have been called Trelfalmador or it could have been called Dresden. Time trippers. Time. <laughs> it could have been just called Billy. <laughs> yeah, Billy Pilgrim. Let's just call it that. No, I, I mean I don't have an answer for you. Uh, yes, listeners, please go out there and educate us if you uh, if you know if in the book that 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 the name of where they stayed in Dresden plays a bigger role than we know about. We're probably going to go find the book and actually read the damn thing. Because <laughs> despite as weird as this is, it is provocative. You kind of want to know a little bit more. It is intriguing. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, it does make you want to know more. It really does. It, it was. It, it's one of those, it, the longer I sit with it, the more it kind of seeps in. And and I was prepared to go in because I, I, I love doing this about anything that starts to win awards. When art films start winning awards, I wondered if it's because the people that have to award the awards so don't understand what it is that they saw that they just go, <laughs> it must be great. I have no idea what that was. <laughs> this one... Literally, just in the time we're sitting in the chair here having this conversation, the more we talk about it, the more I kind of want to dig in further. Mm -hmm. It's a tick of a movie. You mentioned you had the one review that just said it was weird but kind of cool. Did you find anything else beyond that? Oh, yeah, no. uh, We've got that one. That was from Empire. Um, From... uh, Variety in 1971, uh, they did a review, and there. this is just uh, credited as a Variety staff writer. So, Slaughterhouse-Five is a mechanically slick, dramatically sterile commentary about World War II and afterward, as seen through the eyes of a boob everyman. <laughs> Director George Roy Hill's arch- Achievement emphasizes the di- uh, the diffused can't what emphasizes the diffused can't to the detriment of characterization, which are stiff, unsympathetic, and skin deep. Not quite sure what they're going for with diffused can't. Yeah, no, I'm not sure what's going on there. That almost feels like a a, a line got missed in the. Something got jammed in a typewriter. Kind of. Uh, I mean, I swear, folks, I can read. (laughs) (laughs) My brain just couldn't wrap around it. But, uh, I mean, it was commenting on um, how it's both fluid and lucid as it tells its story. And, and unfortunately, other uh, reviews of the time go the same way as most reviews from the 70s go, which is a synopsis of what you just watched. So right. that's essentially what the New York Times uh, review from that period is. 
I take a little solace in the fact that they had a lot more difficult time synopsizing this than most <laughs> other films. <laughs> kind of like it's... they had to work at it. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, in in six hundred words, how do you re-synopsize uh, a novel that is also hard to? <laughs> <laughs> to put on the film. So if this is the best attempt at film, Lord only knows what you can get in half a page on an, in a newspaper. The only thing I, else I wanted to say is the film is worth watching the entire film to get to the end for Billy's presentation as he's speaking about Tralfam... Tralfam... Tralfamador. Tralfamador. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you have to say it fast or you can't say it at all. Right. <laughs> because him explaining what he's learned while living among them is that's what's going to stick with me for like forever. Whether I, if I never watch this film again, those his speech at the end of the film is still going to be with me. Mhm. Uh, so that's where it's really worth watching. But you have to watch the entire film, I think, to really, truly get it. Well, and it's the way the film does it, too. Uh, so you get your speech. He is even saying during the speech, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. I know when. I know where. I know it's here. And I, Yeah, I know how. I know right. how. Knowing that, it's the restatement of... The Tralfamadorians from earlier. He pushed the button. He has always pushed the button. He always will push the button. He, he, a human being who has been put into this particular scenario, has fully embraced the concept of what they were trying to impart. And then the way that the movie does it, not only does he give the speech, which has stuck with you, he is killed. Just as he says he would, right there on uh, on the floor giving the speech, he's even timed what he's saying so that the last thing that he wants to get out is said just before he gets shot. But that's not the end. No. Because his whole point is to remember the positive. So what we have to perceive is his, his pinnacle of happiness is the birth of his son on Tralfamador to Montana, and it's done to roaring applause by the other Tralfamadorians. <laughs> it's like I said, like you said, if you slow it down too much, get sir. <laughs> but no, it, it, the whole thing goes out on fireworks and applause <laughs> because they have birthed the baby right there in their own captivity. <laughs> so I guess. We will um, close this episode out, and I will close this with a Tralfamadorian greeting. Hello, farewell. Hello, farewell. Eternally connected, eternally embracing. Hello, farewell. I don't know. Do I do see you now? (laughs) 